Greetings to all of you, brothers and sisters, in the precious name of Jesus. It is such a joy for me to be here. I've been looking forward to this for some time. Uh, me and my family have been uh, preparing for this and praying about this, and, and here we are. Time keeps moving along. You know, some of these things we preachers have to schedule out quite a, quite a ways in advance, but different ones have told me, you know, Brother Josh, if the Lord hasn't come yet, we still need to be preaching the Word, and I say amen to that. And so we are still anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ, and we still have need for the Word of God. We still have need for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, because that is where life is, and it gives us hope for heaven. Well, I said that maybe I could mention a few things about myself or about my family. I am looking forward to bringing them uh, up here with me uh, for the weekend. So I'll be going home, Lord willing, Thursday night after the service and then enjoying our school program and then coming back Saturday and bringing the family. And that'll be an uh, enjoyable experience for all of us, I know. But we do, uh, my wife is Kimberly. Uh, we have six children, our old 17. Then Lucas is 16, Ian is 13, Greta is, uh, hmm, I think she's 11, she recently had a birthday, and Colin is 9, and little Molly is 7. So we have a, a full house, we have a lot of energy around our place, and God has been very gracious to us, and we give him all the glory. We're not worthy, and yet he has seen fit to bless us with a, a wonderful family. I found it interesting, as I was thinking about coming up here, that, and we don't know this, that this is actually the congregation where my family was attending when I was born, back in 1981, and uh, I went to church here. I was one of the little guys, I guess, that, that crawled around and ran around this church until I was four years old, and then our family moved down to Barnwell, South Carolina, where my father taught school for a number of years. Now, I don't remember the days here, uh, but it just was fascinating to me to, to think how God works, how God, and uh, here I am again in a much different way, but yet here I am. I don't know what you think about when you think about revival meetings. I know our human tendency, though, sometimes is to think about who really should be here. And, and we're, we're kind of prone to kind of look around a little bit and say, I wonder where Billy is, or I wonder if Susie made it tonight. They really need to come to revivals. And, and we sort of look around and we're disappointed that certain ones aren't here because they really need revival. Reminds me of a story that I heard of a, a young aspiring minister who was asked to have revival meetings, and he went to an older seasoned evangelist and asked him for some quick tips for a successful revival. Well, the response he received was not exactly what he was expecting. The old seasoned evangelist said, I want you to take your Bible and a piece of chalk, and I want you to go into a room all by yourself. Go in that room, shut the door, and I want you to draw a circle around you with that piece of chalk. Get down on the floor and draw a circle on the floor around you, and I don't want you to leave that room until everything within that circle has been revived. <laughs> he said, that's how you start a successful revival. You know what that tells me? It tells me that revival is really about me. It's a personal matter. It happens one person at a time. I need revival. So if we as a congregation here at Bank are expecting to have revival this week, it needs to start with you and you and you and you. It needs to start with me. We live in very trying days. In fact, the whole world around, these are very trying times. From earthquakes 
to tornadoes, to hurricanes, to floods, to winter storms, to wars, to COVID, to strife in homes, to strife in churches, to politics, to protests, and the list could go on and on. These are days of unrest. These are days when, when people are, are feeling stressed. These are days when people are weary. And as a result of all of these things, people are dealing with disappointments and people are dealing with hopelessness and fear and discouragement and frustration. What is God saying to us in all of this? Perhaps you're experiencing some of this yourself. What is God saying to us in all of this? And I believe that God is saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The loving call of Jesus to each one of us tonight is to come to him, to cast our cares upon him, and to experience rest. Reminds me of a story from our family here a few years ago. We took a, a big trip out west to southern Alberta to visit some family. And you know how it is. We just had a window of time that, that we could be gone, and so we wanted to spend as much time out there as possible. And so the driving was, we, we wanted to zoom out and zoom back as much as possible. And so we left one morning and drove the whole day and drove the first whole night, drove the next day, and we stopped the second night, had some rest, and then finished out the trip. And then we were there for nine days and, and ran here and ran there and ran to the Rockies and ran to Glacier and did all these things. And, oh, it was wonderful. It was a great experience. But you know how it is sometimes when you're on a big vacation like that, you about have to take another vacation when you get home just to, just to catch your breath a bit. Well, okay, so we were there for nine days, and then we left one morning, and we drove all day, and drove through the first night, and drove the second day, and the plan was to catch the Creation Museum on the way home in northern Kentucky. And so we got there to northern Kentucky. We got to our motel at about 10 o'clock that second evening, and we were just, we were bushed. We were just absolutely exhausted. I mean, the whole trip was just overstimulating and, and something so unusual for us and just all the activity and the driving and the late nights and the no nights and all of that. We got to this motel about 10 o'clock and, and we quickly unpacked, got in our room and turned the lights off and we just crashed. And we didn't even bother setting an alarm because our family doesn't sleep in. I mean, we just don't sleep in. We've tried it before and we can't sleep in, okay? So we figured that, especially being at a unique place like that, the children would be up probably the crack of dawn. And so we just fell asleep. Well, I rolled over and looked at the alarm clock there on the stand next to the bed, and it said 1127. And, and I just assumed that it was just 11.27, like I had just slept a little bit and, and woke up in 11.27. But at that moment, I noticed a little bit of light coming through around the blinds. And all of a sudden, I realized this wasn't 11.27 at night. This was 11.27 the next day. We had slept for over 12 hours. Everyone! Not a peep! I'm telling you, the next few minutes, we probably broke world records for the time a family of eight can get up and get ready and out of there. I mean, we even missed our free complimentary breakfast. <laughs> and we were supposed to be at the Creation Museum. Oh, well, the Lord worked it all out. We got there. We had an enjoyable time and got home. But I say that to say that the Lord, the Lord can give us rest in very unique ways. The Lord can orchestrate seasons of rest 
in our lives when we need it. You know, Jesus promises sweet, refreshing rest to all of us. In fact, he offers this rest to all who are weary, to all who are heavy laden. And I say, what a promise. What an invitation. And I believe that rest for the weary is an offer that appeals to every human being. We would all want that deep down in our hearts. We are all attracted to that. We want rest inside. It doesn't matter how calloused a person may look. It doesn't matter how rough they look. Yet deep down inside, there is a longing to have peace, to have rest. I believe that resonates with all of us. And yet, sadly, so many people pass through life without ever experiencing that rest that only comes from Jesus Christ. Why is that? Why is that? It's because with this loving invitation comes three conditions that few people are willing to meet. Jesus says, come unto me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. You see, each of these imperatives calls us away from ourselves, and that's exactly where the conflict begins. When we are called away from ourselves, all of a sudden there's a problem there. You see, we all want to experience that promise. We all want to experience that sweet, refreshing rest. I say, we all want to experience the promise, but so few people are willing to commit to the process. As I think about this passage, and you can turn to Matthew chapter 11. That is where I quoted Matthew 11, 26 or 28 through 30, the words of Jesus. I just want to note the context of this passage here. In Matthew chapter 11, we begin the passage where John the Baptist is in prison, and he's discouraged, he's depressed, he's doubting. And I find this fascinating because we read in John chapter 1, so, okay, so John the Baptist came to make the way for Jesus Christ. And we read in John chapter 1 that John the Baptist is walking down the road and he sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then just a few verses later, we have him once again walking with a couple of his disciples. And he says it again. He identifies Jesus as, Behold the Lamb of God. It seems clear that John the Baptist knew what his mission was all about. It seems clear that he knew who Jesus Christ was. And yet here we find him in prison. And he's depressed. He's discouraged. He's not sure. And he sends two of his disciples. And the question is this. Are you the one that was to come? Or should we be looking for someone else? Are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? And notice Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't say, yep, I'm the one. I'm the one. No, he doesn't. But instead, he points to the results of his ministry. He says, I want you to go and tell John what you hear and see. What does he say in verse 5? The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. He says, look at the results. Lives are being changed. Victories are being won. People are being healed. People are experiencing freedom. And I say that sets the stage for what we find then later in the passage. Where the work of Jesus is now in full view. 
John has came to prepare the way. And now Jesus Christ is on the scene. His ministry has begun. And he's pointing men and women to the Father. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This evening we just simply want to consider this loving invitation from Jesus to come, to come. That invitation is still out there tonight. You know, we say that we are living in the day of grace. In other words, God is still calling men and women to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The gospel is still being preached. We're still in that window of opportunity. We're still having revival meetings, calling people to faith in Christ, calling people to deepen their walk with Him. But the day of grace will not always continue. Consider that as we move forward this evening. Jesus says that this call, this offer of rest, is given to those who are laboring, to those who are heavy laden. That term heavy laden means to be overburdened with spiritual anxiety. And I found this interesting. Also to be overburdened with ceremony. Overburdened with ceremony. Now, let's consider for a, a bit the, the atmosphere in church, as it were, back in that time. The church setting at that time. So as we consider the context of this passage, Jesus was ministering to a group of people who were laboring under the heavy load of the law. The Pharisees, or the religious leaders of the day, were placing unreasonable burdens upon the people by insisting to a strict adherence of the law. There was this very heavy-handed leadership. Do this, and do this, and do this, and oh, don't forget to do that. And, and it's through doing that that you... That you Please God. It's through the doing. And there was a great emphasis on the doing. And yet, one of the burdens or one of the things that was wearing people out was not only all the doing, but was also the inconsistencies of the leaders. They're requiring a strict adherence to the law, and yet were not following through themselves. And so Jesus said, referring to these spiritual leaders, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And so you feel the, the weariness of the people. They're exhausted with all the, the push to do so much, do so much. And then the inconsistencies that they're seeing around them, and it creates just a weariness of spirit. And over and over, Jesus unashamedly exposed the dead, empty religion of the Jewish leaders and warmly invited the people to come and experience a, a rich, powerful, life-giving experience with Him. A relationship with Him. You see, that sweet, refreshing rest that Jesus Christ gives is not found, dear people, in all of the doing. It's not found in religion. But the sweet, refreshing rest that comes only from Jesus Christ is found in being. It's found in a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Now, I'm not saying that doing is not important. I'm simply saying it's about having first things first foundational must be the relationship with Jesus Christ. And then flowing out of that relationship will come a desire to live a holy life, a desire to please God in, in what I do and what I say and how I conduct my life. But it's about having first things first. 
that warm relationship with Jesus Christ is foundational to the whole thing. The call of Jesus to come to me is a test of trust and a test of humility. We'd like to look at those two things for a few moments. It's a test of trust and a test of humility. To come to Jesus means to trust Him. You understand that, generally speaking, we don't accept the invitation to come to someone if we don't trust them. If we don't trust them, we immediately say, I wonder what they want. I wonder what they want to do with me. I wonder, is this safe? This sounds dangerous. Do they have a trick up their sleeve? What are they trying to get out of this? We're leery to commit if we don't trust. But dear people, why should we shrink back from trusting our loving Heavenly Father? Why should resist? Why should we resist that loving invitation to come to me? Think of how it is with a little child learning to walk. We, we had six of them. I remember those days. It seems like it was just yesterday that those little ones were, were learning to walk, and we were urging them and, and, and wanting them to walk. And, and so we would get down on our knees, and, and you know the little one would be you know, up against the couch or something, and we would say, Come on, buddy. Come to Daddy. Come, Colin. Come to Daddy. And he would start, you know, ever so slowly, and, and, and finally they would wiggle their way over and fall into our arms. And, and they come to us. Why? Because they trust us. Because they trust Daddy. They trust Mommy. You know how it is sometimes uh, when you try to have a little one come to you that doesn't really know you. They run the other way, typically. But our children, they come to Daddy and Mommy because they trust them. So then when they come, what do we do? Pinch them? Slap them? Say, ha-ha, I tricked you. Of course not. We hug them warmly. Good job. You came to Daddy, to Mommy. We love you. And, and we bless them for that. Any loving parent would treat their child in that way. But dear people, how much more our Heavenly Father? How much more our loving Heavenly Father who is calling us to come to Him? Why would we stiff-arm that loving call? Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. We read in Hebrews that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Paul writes in the Corinthians, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters saith the Lord Almighty. Notice what he says. He says, I will be a father unto you. And literally what that implies is it's not talking about I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I am your daddy. That big, strong, controlling, demanding kind of personality. It's not the father title as such, but it is the warm, I will be a daddy to you. It's the Abba Father feel. It's the picture of the daddy who gets down on the floor and plays with the children and, and they feel wanted. They feel like they belong there. I will be as unto you a father and you will be my sons and daughters. I say that coming to Jesus Christ is a test of our trust. Is a test of our trust. The call of Jesus to come to me is also a test of humility. Look once again here in our text and notice verses 25 and 26. In Matthew 11, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. 
<laughs> Isn't that interesting? Here God is revealing spiritual truth. There is the promise that God will reveal the deeper things of truth to those who are like children. Not to those who seem to be upright and know-it-all and the learned ones. You see, this was somewhat of a head-scratcher for the people, I can imagine, when Jesus said this. Because to them, their spiritual leaders of the day were the learned ones. They were the ones that knew it all. They were the wise ones. They had the right to know the Scriptures, but not, not the congregants. <laughs> no, no, they're just, they're just little people. But we know the Scriptures, and yet it was so, it was so inconsistent. It didn't make sense to the people. And Jesus said, Lord, I thank you that you have seen fit to reveal the deeper things of truth to those who are like children and not unto those who are wise and prudent in their own eyes. And then is the call to come unto me. I say that the call of Jesus to come to me is a test of humility. You know, there is no harder person to reach than the one who is blind and complacent in their spiritual life. Reminds me of the man that I've been relating to recently who is his own spiritual hero. And as me and him talk, it becomes quite obvious that he doesn't know of anyone else who is as spiritual as he is. He's his own spiritual hero. You know, proud people find it awfully hard to fully trust Jesus and to humbly come to him because they don't think they need anything. Me? You mean I need something? <laughs> right. I mean, I go to church. I read the Bible. I mean, I know it. But Jesus said, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must become as a little child. You see, accepting the call of Jesus to come to me means acknowledging that we're needy. And that takes humility. That takes humility. You have to come to the point where you say, you know what? I need something that I don't have. I have been searching and searching and I've been trying to fill this void in my life with all kinds of things and, and yet I don't have that rest. I don't have that peace. Something's missing. And dear people, the only way that that void is filled, the only way that you experience true peace and true rest is by acknowledging that you have a need and acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the only one that can meet that need. And that takes humility. Some time ago I was talking to my neighbor. His name is Don. And his middle name really could be Pleasure <laughs> because that's what Don is all about. Don is... It's all about making more money. Don is all about going to extreme sports place, places, riding the four-wheeler trails, taking the Jeep in the backcountry, taking his boat to the lake on the weekends, going to the beach, going to Las Vegas, going to the cabin, going, having parties at the house. That's what makes Don tick. And it burdened me. It burdened me. And one day I, I talked to Don and I said, Don, I just want to share my heart with you a bit. I said, I'm concerned that you're pursuing all these pleasures at the expense of your eternal soul. Well, Don's response was, he winked at me and said, no worries, Josh, I got this one. <laughs> <laughs> 
It'll be all right. You see, Don doesn't need anything. Don doesn't need anything, does he? And yet Don is not happy. Don is still looking for fulfillment. He's trying to fill that void in his life. And Don needs Jesus. You see, our human nature resists that call to surrender our will and come to Jesus. There's something about that when, when, when we hear that call to come to Jesus, when we're reading a passage in Scripture that, that stands out to us and that convicts us, our, our flesh wants to kind of resist that. We throw an elbow, as it were. And we say, ah, I, don't, I don't really need that. Why do we do that? I, I think we, we feel like maybe we'll have to give something up that's fun. Maybe we think that by coming to Jesus, life will be dull. Life will not nearly be as exciting. Like Maybe we think that life will never be the same. And in that, we are exactly correct. Life will never be the same. By coming to Jesus, life will only be better, dear people. It will only be better. In fact, the Scripture says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Who doesn't want to have a new life? Everyone does. Everyone wants to experience that new life. They want to experience that joy. They want to experience that peace and that rest. That's attractive to everyone. And yet, it goes against our flesh. I say that that call to come to Jesus Christ is a test of trust, and it's a test of humility. You see, although in our flesh we resist that, everyone who has sincerely surrendered their heart and life to Jesus Christ, everyone who has sold out to Jesus they know the joy. They know the power. They know the peace. They know the rest that comes from that. They know and experience it. In fact, Jesus Christ brings wholeness to our lives in a way that nothing else can. Someone has said before that, that each one of us has this place in our life. And it is only truly filled by Jesus Christ. He is the only one that truly fills that space. Him alone. And yet we try to fill it with things. But it is for Christ alone. You see, the call of God to come away from ourselves... And to come to him, a warm, loving invitation, it always promises something better than our current experience. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that, that the call of God to come to me always promises something better than your current experience? We'd like to look at that for a moment. We'd like to look at a few places in Scripture where God is calling us to come to Him, and we're going to look at change. We're going to look at the life. We're going to look at the cleansing that we receive when we come. Turn to Genesis chapter 7. And this is, in fact, the first invitation that we find in Scripture to come. Genesis chapter 7. Here's the story of the flood, Noah and the ark. And I would like to actually jump back to the end of chapter 6. Because I want you to notice something, and we'll notice, we'll notice this in each of these examples from Scripture here. Where you have current experience, we could say that's self. Over here we have the promise that is received. We could call that Jesus Christ. So over here is your current experience. Over here is the promise that's received, Jesus Christ. And in the middle is that call to come. 
I refer to that call as the cross. Because when we think of the cross, we think of surrender. We think of death to self and life in Jesus Christ. We could also think of it as a crossroad in our life. We're here. God is calling us here. We have a choice to make. There is a call. Will you come? Will you come? Away from your current experience, will you accept the call to come and experience life in Jesus Christ? Now here in Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 17, here God is speaking, and he says, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. Well, that sounds pretty grim, does it not? That was it. Everything that is in the earth shall die. What is the news? We move into verse 17. Actually, verse 18. But, and now this speaks of a contrast. So over here, everything shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee, and every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shall thou bring into, to keep them alive with thee, they shall be male and female. And notice the end of verse 20, uh, verse 20 once again, to keep them alive. And so here you have that everything is going to die, but... God has made a provision. It is the ark. And for those who come into the ark, they experience life. So on this side is death. On this side is life. And there is the call to come. Come into the ark. Chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. You understand, dear people, that the ark is a type of Christ. It is a place of safety. And here in this example from Scripture, we have the call to safety. The call to safety. Come out of the danger. Accept the invitation. Come into the ark. Into that place of safety and experience life. You see, outside is death. Inside is life. It's a place of safety. Turn to Isaiah chapter 1. And in this passage here, we want to, we want to note the call to come and receive cleansing. Come and receive cleansing. Starting at verse 11. And this is the word of God through the voice of Isaiah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he-goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear you. Your hands are full of blood. And I can imagine the people going, what in the world? What are you talking about? Or maybe they knew exactly. Maybe they knew exactly in their hearts what Isaiah was talking about. But perhaps they were saying, we've done everything you've told us to do. We're going through all the motions. 
We're, we're doing it to a T. And you're saying you hate it? Verse 16. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Pause there for a moment and notice God's standard. He doesn't say, put away the evil from your eyes. He says, put away the evil from before mine eyes. There's a difference there. It's God's standard. It's not ours. We don't determine where the line is. God does. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now. There it is. Come now. And I see the hands of our loving Heavenly Father outstretched. And perhaps there's tears in his eyes as he pleads with the people. Yes, you've been doing all these things, but your heart is not right. Your heart is not in it. It's coming from impure motives. You're trying to earn your salvation, as it were. He says, come now. And let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You understand that the blood of Jesus washes away the deepest stain. There are those that say, oh, I'm, I'm too dirty. I've done too many things. It reminds me of a, of a, a man in our community that, that my mom, I, as a young boy, I heard my mom reaching out to this man at our bakery one day. And she said, she said, Bruce, I just want to invite you to our church service this Sunday. And Bruce said, oh, no, Miss Good, you don't understand. I, I'm a very dirty man. I was just a little fellow, and I, I remember observing this conversation. He said, I, I've seen an awful lot. I've done a lot. He said, I couldn't come to your church. I, I, I'm a very dirty man. And I pondered, as a young fellow, I pondered that. You know, dear people, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ can make the vilest sinner clean. The blood of Jesus Christ, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. You see, dear people, when the heart is right, and pleasing to God, then he delights in the outward acts of worship as well. But when the heart is out of tune with God, then the outward acts are detestable to him. I don't care how beautiful they may appear. They're detestable to him. Where is your heart this evening? What is at the center of your doing? I think of what John wrote in his epistle. And he says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us. Cleanseth us from all sin. That is that ongoing action. I picture, I picture a person as they're walking in the light, they're standing, as it were, underneath the flow of the blood of Jesus Christ. They're standing under that waterfall of Jesus' blood, and they are continually being cleansed as they walk in the light. It's a beautiful picture. It's a powerful picture of ongoing sanctification, the work that Jesus Christ continues to do in us as we walk in the light, as we yield ourselves to Him. My mind goes to Revelation chapter 7 where John is having his vision and he sees a huge multitude that is dressed in white robes. 
And one of the elders comes to him and says, John, what's this all about? Who are they? And John said, thou knowest, thou knowest. And that man says to John, these are they which have come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Wow, that's beautiful. Are you one of those tonight? God is calling to each one of us to come and experience cleansing. The cleansing that only He can give. Let's notice another one. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. And here, dear people, is the call to come and experience true life. To experience true satisfaction. And the emphasis here is true. Because there are those out there tonight that are living. There are those out there tonight that say they're satisfied. Uh, but they're sort of like my neighbor Don. They're continually searching for something. They say they're having a good life. They say everything is fine, but there's a restlessness inside. They can't sit still. Something's missing. And here the call of God is to come and experience true life. True satisfaction. Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, or come. <laughs> That's really what it's saying. It's come, everyone that is thirsty, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? Note that. And your labor for that which satisfieth not. Okay, not bread doesn't satisfy. Those are key. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear. Twice he's saying, listen up. Incline your ear and come unto me. And your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. We have a picture here of people who are spending much money People who are wearing themselves out over things that have no eternal significance. Much is being spent. Much effort is being exerted on food and pleasures and properties and vehicles and businesses and, and you name it. And yet it's, it's things with no eternal significance. I see a picture of people who are quite plump, as it were. In fact, overweight, and yet spiritually malnourished. Because they're pursuing things that have no eternal value. And while everything looks so wonderful on the outside... They're dealing with a malnourished soul. And the call of God is, Come and eat ye that which is good. <laughs> eat that which is good. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. Come unto me, hear me, and your soul shall live. We're talking about the call of God. Come to Him and experience true life. True satisfaction. It comes only through Jesus Christ. Turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. And we have the picture here in verse 37. Jesus is there at the feast. 
And he does something that would maybe embarrass some people. But he stands out and speaks in a very loud voice. In fact, it says he cries out. John 7, verse 37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. What does that mean? Well, he says, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on should receive. Jesus is saying, Come unto me. Are you thirsty? Come unto me. Drink deeply of me. And when you drink deeply of me, out of your belly or out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Isn't that interesting? That when we come to Jesus Christ and we drink deeply of the wells of salvation, we drink deeply of the living water, then we become a channel of life to those around us. It doesn't just stay with us. But we become a channel of blessing, offering life-giving water to a dry and parched world. The call, dear people, is to come and live. I find it fascinating in Scripture how, how Jesus brings a whole new dimension to that which is normal. Okay? So we have water. Jesus brings living water. We have bread. Jesus is the living bread. We have peace, and yet Jesus brings a peace that you just can't even understand. It's a peace that passes all understanding. Jesus brings a fullness of joy. Jesus brings abundant, everlasting life. There is a living, and then there is a living that comes through Jesus Christ. Hear me, and your soul shall live. You know, I wonder tonight, what is your response to the call of God? God is calling each of us to come. What is your response? Turn back to Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28. And let's notice a very sad response that wasn't just happening back in Isaiah's day, but it's still happening today. Isaiah 28, verses 12 and 13. To whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there. And, and I can even hear a mocking spirit. Do this, do that, do this, do that. Da, 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 da. Just, just a real kind of, you know what? I don't want to come to Jesus. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to play that religion game. It's just do this and do that and do this and do that and I can't have fun and blah, blah, blah. That's, that's the response of these people in Isaiah's day. Don't steal my joy. Don't steal my happiness. Let me live my own life. And it says that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Wow. What an end. What an end. Do you believe it? Those who resist the loving, warm invitation to come and experience rest, those who resist that, it says they fall backward and are broken and are snared and are taken. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. In verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Who doesn't want rest in your soul? 
But they said, we will not walk therein. Count us out. We're not interested. Listen to this quote by Paul Washer as we think about your response, my response to the call of God to come, come to me. He says, there stands God on the day of creation. He looks at the stars and says, all you stars, move yourself in this place and start in this order and move in a circle and move exactly as I tell you until I give you another word. And they say, yes, sir. Planets, pick yourself up and whirl. Make this formation at my command until I give you another word. And they do it. He looks at the mountains and says, be lifted up. And they obey him. He tells the valleys, be cast down, and they obey him. He looks at the sea and says, you will come just this far, and the sea obeys. Then he looks at you and me and says, come. And we put our hands on our hips and say, no. I say the audacity that we have in the face of the almighty creator God the one who is, is offering us life, the one who is offering us peace, the one that all creation bows to him. And yet we, in our little, foolish, sinful state, we say, hmm, ain't doing that. The spirit of resistance we so often display when we're offered the truth. And it brings us, dear people, back to the absolute essentials of humility and trust. It's about acknowledging our need. And it's about believing His promises. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When we come to Christ by faith, God gives us rest. And I believe that ultimately this rest is peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We say, yes, Lord. We believe by faith. We receive salvation. And that enmity with God is broken. The relationship is restored. We once again experience peace with God. And upon this foundation, we can then experience that inner peace, that inner rest in all circumstances of life. And I say, that is the peace of God. The peace of God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's the peace of God. And the Apostle Paul wrote that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How about you tonight? Is there something that is causing unrest in your soul? Are you at odds with God? Are you in conflict with others? Are you discouraged or weary with the weight of life? Maybe you're anxious or unsettled about a certain situation in your life. I just ask you, dear people, to take God at his word. Take God at his word. He is so faithful. He promises to give you joy and peace, freedom and rest when you come to him. Why don't you cast all your care on him? Because he cares for you. And so tonight, if, if God has been speaking to you, if God has been calling you, if the Holy Spirit laying his finger on something in your life, 
that is out of step with God, then I invite you to come. I invite you to come and experience the peace that only God can give. I call you to come and experience that rest. And so tonight, we would like to sing just the first two verses of Just As I Am. And if God has been speaking to you tonight, if there's something in your life that you need to make right, maybe God is calling you tonight for the first time. Maybe you have never surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Why not tonight? Why not tonight? Today is the day of opportunity. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but accept that invitation. And so let's sing the first two verses of Just As I Am. And if the Lord is speaking to you, I invite you just simply to stand to your feet and come to the front, and someone will meet with you and pray with you. Brother, will you lead us?